Hello there, welcome to another MLEX podcast. It's great to see you again. I'm James Paniki, Senior Editor on MLEX's Asia Desk, and today I'm coming to you from the LexisNexis offices in Melbourne, Australia. Now, it's safe to say that car makers around the world are on board with the project of moving towards electric vehicles. Most industry players are planning the road ahead and are indeed scrambling to meet the challenges. However, in the European Union, the auto industry is facing a raft of new regulation to nudge it, or even arguably shove it, towards achieving ambitious goals on vehicle emissions. Now, this would be all good and well, the European auto industry argues, if car makers around the world were facing similar regulatory obstacles and had access to the same level of government support. But that's obviously not the case. So the automakers are calling for a more flexible and pragmatic approach from the regulators, although so far to no avail. The MLEX team in Brussels and London has been working on this story for some time now, and our senior reporter covering future mobility, Jakub Kruper, joins us now from the UK. And just a very quick linguistic note for our US listeners, when we refer to petrol in this context, we are in fact talking about gasoline. Now, Jakub, there's a growing sense of frustration and disquiet among European car makers. They're becoming increasingly vocal about policies that will affect them. Walk us through their concerns. I think it all fits a broader debate about the state and the future of the particularly European automotive industry. Uh, they say it's, you know, it's once in a century revolution that affects the industry with transition towards electric vehicles. They say, you know, the last time we changed something so radically was when we switched from a horse to a car. So, so they say, obviously, that completely upends the whole system, the whole chains, the whole everything that they, they've worked on for, for, for decades. And there are multiple regulatory interventions that make it even more urgent for European car makers. So starting from CO2 emissions, effectively with small caveats boiling down to a ban on sale of new petrol and diesel cars. That's from 2035 in the EU, with 55% reduction already kicking on earlier. And it's 2030 in the UK. So there's very much a sense of urgency on the side of car makers that we need to move towards electric vehicles as quickly as we can. And that's largely agreed for the European Union at the European Council level. So that's heads of governments. And they finalised regulation in March as part of a broader package, Fit for 55, which is causing some tension now towards the end of this commission. And I think it will be interesting to see what happens with that in the next few years. And in the UK, also, it's the government's policy with a number of additional measures. They added what's called a zero emission mandate, essentially forcing car makers to sell a percentage of electric vehicles even before as a kind of way of promoting that transition. But on top of that, you have other things like Euro 7 emission standards, something that is super controversial. And that goes beyond CO2, looks at nitrogen oxides, carbon monoxide, particles, hydrocarbons, ammonia, looking at all sorts of smallest ultra-fine particles from brakes and tyres, essentially everything that pollutes the air around us. And these rules are expected to enter into force from 2025, but these talks are still very much ongoing. There's lots of disquiet among car makers saying, hang on a second, we can't do all of this at the same time. All right, so clearly we're dealing with an onslaught here of, of regulation, right? And it's no surprise that the car makers are bristling. But it, what what problem in particular is concerning them? I think the key problem, as the car makers say, is that this policy could have a disastrous impact on the operations. It's massive costs. Some of these, as the Euro 7 stuff we talked about just now, they say 
its marginal benefits. We are phasing out these vehicles anyway towards you know, having electric vehicles. Uh, and they say, these are too stringent, coming too fast. You guys are unrealistic. We get that you want to you know, help the environment and reduce emissions and help with air pollution, but that's just happening way too fast. And I think there's a chief executive of Stellantis, Carlos Tavares, who's a very outspoken guy. Um, he said, you know, these go against common sense. That will be diversion from the major goal of electrification. German car makers so often, you know, quoted as the, the big voice of the industry, given the, the role they have in Europe. They also said it's extreme. It's unrealistic. It's just not going to work. And we've been reporting in the last few months a lot about EU car makers going to Thierry Breton, who's the... Um, EU industry czar, the commissioner uh, responsible for that, um, lobbying him, saying this is not going to work. And it's not just, you know, uh, how it's going to affect the industry, how it's going to, how much it's going to cost us. It's also, speaking the language that politicians understand probably best, it's also about jobs. It's about the fact that, you know, you have elections for the European Parliament next year, you have national elections every single year in the next few years. If we get hurt, this will cost jobs. And, and as, as a result, you, you as a politician should think about it. So and I think the key argument they, they make, and I think that's a fairly convincing one, is you want us to phase out petrol and diesel cars, move all our resources to electric vehicles. This is undeniably a massive shock. And now this as well? So I, th I think there's a lot of discussion about this and also about the fact that mobility just might be a bit more expensive with all of that. Well, let's talk about the money because clearly that is uh, a concern. The concern is how much these changes will ultimately cost. What do they have to say on that front? So uh, you would you'll not be surprised, James, that they disagree on that. Uh, and obviously the car makers say, oh, it's going to cost loads of money. It's going to cost, you know, the Euro 7 stuff. It's going to cost us £2,000 uh, 2,000 euros as well, um, per, per car, me, me, meaning that, you know, at the time of cost of living crisis, where we have skyrocketing, skyrocketing problems with energy, fuels, and everything else, people will be just looking at this and thinking like, am I really, is that the right way of spending my money? The commission says it's going to be 200, maybe 300, maybe 400. So essentially it's like a paint job on the car. So it's not, it's not so significant. We'll, we'll be fine. But the car makers say, no, it's, we won't. Because with all of this, people will just end up with the old, dirty cars for longer. They will not have money to get a new, cleaner IC before they get phased out, or they will not get an electric vehicle. So it's all counterproductive. And again, you will not be surprised that there are particular countries that complain about it more than others. There's eight countries in Europe, including Czechia, Poland, Slovakia, all three big in car making, manufacturing. They say, you know, this is way too early. We can't, we can't just do that because that will affect the industry too much. And I think it was Renault's, again, outspoken, they are outspoken, executive Luca de Meo, who said jobs would very much be at risk if the whole transition is mismanaged. And and I think there's a growing concern that, yes, we agree with electrification. There's no denying this. And the automotive industry has been investing massive amounts of money in this. But we just need to pace it a bit. We just need to think about how we do it, when we do it strategically. It's not only about what's going on in Europe. But it's, it's, there's also a whole you know, big world out there. And there are all the other markets that obviously are keen to take part in this electrification of car fleets in Europe. Uh, and I think there's a concern directed as much as kind of what's going on, you know, in our countries in terms of jobs, in terms of costs, in terms of affordability, but it's also about the competition lurking from outside of Europe. And, and we're really talking about China uh, here, aren't we? Because it seems that at least some of that anger 
is uh, directed particularly at Chinese manufacturers. Absolutely, yes. I mean, they keep saying this, the European car makers keep saying this. It's about, you know, when you think about switch to electric vehicles, you have to acknowledge that there's a Chinese dominant role in terms of access to raw materials, battery cells, broader supply chain for electric vehicles. It's essentially cheaper, so it's easier for them to build out competitive prices. And I think, again, Renault's de Mero, he said a few months back, we reported that on Amlex, very clearly, we built within more than a century of work this competitive advantage around the value chain of combustion engine vehicles. Now this will be gone. And we want to do the right thing, car makers. We want to do the right things. We want to transition. But this process, as things stand, poses almost existential challenges to us. And, you know, I think the European car lobby, the uh, ASEA, which is the European Automobile Manufacturers Association, they say, you know, by 2030, no more than 5% of the raw materials needed for battery production will be sourced in Europe. How is that going to work? Well, obviously, that that makes us more reliant on China, just as we, you know, are weaning ourselves off Russian gas and dependency there. So all sorts of problems there. And I think there's even a report from the European Court of Auditors, again, reported that in Emlex about two weeks ago. They said EU could even be forced to revise these targets, the 2035 target in particular, as it struggles to overcome issues related to access to raw materials, rising costs, competitive pressure. So all of that is very much a problem, not from the car makers, not just from the car makers, but there's quite a lot of people saying, ah, you know what, this timing, that sounds a bit ambitious. And it's not the first time that a trade-related issue, though, has uh, brought up the issue of Chinese subsidies and the support that Chinese car makers would get uh, from from the Chinese government. Now, this is something that European car makers uh, wouldn't be able to receive. I mean, this level of subsidy, given the increasingly uh, tricky obligations that they are subjected to. So they are they are suggesting that there's a lack of a level playing field when it comes to uh, government support. Absolutely. And obviously, they point out point subsidies in China. They also look now, now at the US and the US Inflation Reduction Act, saying, you know, the US has been very active in attracting new investment in cleaner um, technologies that includes electric vehicles, the whole thing about the grant for new electric vehicles in the US, with part of that being given if, you know, if the assembly of the car is based in the US. So they're trying to take that, bring that law them in. And for example, in particular, in the context of China, because we mentioned that, obviously, it's notable that EU's tariffs on imported cars from China are just 10%. The US, 27.5. So obviously we have a large number of Chinese-made cars coming into Europe. In fact, in 2022, that's over half a million, almost 20% more than a year earlier. So if you think about your traditional kind of car markets, your South Korea, your Japan, they're now like fourth, fourth, fifth in, in terms of countries that we, we source our cars. China, in terms of imports, is number one. And for example, in Germany, China-made electric vehicles represented almost a third of all electric vehicle imports in the first quarter of this year, three times more than a year before. So again, European car makers look at this and think like, you know, if you want affordable electric mobility, I mean, we would want that to be produced in Europe, right? And and if, if, the, if the situation is as it is, and if it continues like that, with all sorts of affordability questions and so on, we may end up having lots of Chinese cars and that that's where you know you have completely new brands like BYD and NUI MG um, coming in 
brands that you know, lots of Europeans would not have heard about even a few years ago, but now they're like, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. Why not? It's it's cheaper. It's, it looks good. It looks right. I'm going to I'm gonna try it. So that's the, that's the reason that car makers are frustrated. They say, we have to go through all of this red tape, all of this regulation, compete against heavily subsidized companies and low tariffs. We don't get that level of support. And I think that all of that contributes to that problem. And it's I think the recognition of that is not just in Europe. I mentioned US earlier. And Catherine Kay, she's the US trade representative of the US, she said quite openly a few weeks back at an online conference in London that the rise of electric vehicles is another example of a strategic, super relevant industry growing out of China, creating concerns around whether or not the production and the trade will happen on a market basis. Again, now, one thing that car makers say, how about we retaliate in a way? How about we, you know, increase the tariffs, do something about it? And obviously the problem there is what happens if China reacts to that as well, if there's a counter-reaction, obviously with your access to raw materials and everything else depending on that, but also with some more premium, particularly German European brands, uh, car makers, making investments or selling in China. So that all of that makes this whole discussion about how to respond to this super complicated. So it sounds like a system of very closely interconnected issues. So given that fact, what is the way forward? Where do we go from here? I think we are just charting the way forward, James. I think no one knows where we are exactly going. But, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier, it's trade, it's state aid, it's competition, it's industrial policy, it's even geopolitics, investment security, it's literally everything, given all sorts of broader concerns about China and, and the way it's governed. And then you have also practical issues, like the stuff about rules of origin between the UK and Europe, which is essentially a hangover from Brexit. Car makers on both sides say if the new rules kick in next year, that will cost us potentially 4.3 billion euros in additional costs. We can't afford that if we, if we need to compete against Chinese or other car makers. So... There's so much on this, and I think, you know, we are obviously uniquely positioned, I would say, I would say that, right? At Amlex, to cover all of that with our trade teams, with our competition teams, with ourselves on the Future Mobility Desk. But yeah, that's very much a, a kind of topic where there's more questions than answers at this stage, but it's it's a fascinating way ahead. But these questions are massive. Don't, don't you know, don't be in any doubt. We're talking about absolute, absolutely game-changing situations for the European car makers, and they're understandably worried about that. Yes, Jakob, it is certainly game-changing and it's great that you're covering it uh, every step of the way. Let's catch up again very soon. Thank you. Talk soon. Jakob Kruper is an MLEX senior reporter covering future mobility from London and MLEX subscribers have available to them the full portfolio of work on Euro 7 and the various responses. Now, if you want to find out more about MLEX and our coverage, you can just head to our website, mlexmarketinsight.com. That's mlexmarketinsight.com. The News Hub tab has an archive of MLEX podcasts, which I strongly encourage you to take a look at. I'm sure you'll find something there to fire up your imagination. And that's where we have to leave things for today. The podcast was produced and presented by me, James Paniki. MLEX's London-based marketing team uploads this podcast and gets it into your headphones at lightning speed every week. And we thank the team for that. And Richard Thompson is our executive producer. From everyone here at MLEX and LexisNexis, thank you for your company. I'll see you again soon. Bye for now.